Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. So did you celebrate the big national holiday last week? Some of you are saying, what big national holiday last week? Well, the fourth Thursday of every April is Bring Your Child to Work Day. How many of you knew that? Okay, 73 million Americans before COVID, 73 million American parents brought their kids to work. Now, because of COVID, some of you are working at home and you say, yeah, every day is Bring My Child to Work Day, right? (laughs) Yeah, it kind of looks that way. If you Google this national holiday, you'll come across some humorous stories of what people ran into when they brought their kids to their workplace. One of my favorites, uh, told by a mom who works for a medical company, uh, she is the one who who keeps track of who gets into this company's uh, high-security sterile laboratory. So in order to get in, you have to show an ID, you have to fill out a bunch of paperwork, and so people get kind of grumpy. And so she keeps a bowl of Jolly Ranchers on her counter, just a way to ease tensions. And so she brings her six-year-old daughter to work, and she tells her ahead of time, now, honey, I don't want you eating any candy. You understand? Okay, so they're driving home at the end of the day, and mom says, did you eat any of that candy? No. And then she confesses. She said, I unwrapped each one, I licked it, I rewrapped it, and put it in the bowl. <laughs> so much for the sterile environment, right? So bringing your child to work could create some problems, but let me tell you what will create an even bigger problem, bringing God to work, bringing God to work with you. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, When you surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God came to live on the inside. So wherever you go, you take God with you, including to work. So welcome to the final week, the fourth week of a four-part series on the workplace. A job well done is what we've called the series. It's a study of the life of Daniel. So if you would, take your Bible, turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel, you'll get past Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and you'll finally come to Daniel. If, if I had played the word association game at the beginning of this series, okay, if I had said to you, hey, we're going to do a four-week series on Daniel, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear Daniel and the lions? Of course, the most familiar episode in the life of this Old Testament character, the story of how he got thrown into the lion's den, and it all happened, listen, because Daniel brought God to work. So this story takes place near the end of Daniel's career. We're going to read it in uh, Daniel chapter 6. Okay, Daniel's about 70, maybe even 80 years old at the time. He's still got a high-profile government job, although he's no longer working for the tyrant King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon because Babylon has been conquered by Persia. Persia uh, is the biggest kingdom the world had ever known, and they've got a king by the name of Cyrus. He is the new CEO. So Daniel is now working for him. And when you stop to think about it, this is pretty amazing that Daniel has survived this transition. You know, it tells us that he must have been really good at his job. 
and that he was deeply committed to his job to have continued at it for, you know, maybe eight decades. Daniel, he was not thinking about retirement. He was not planning to get a condo on the Persian Gulf and play golf every day. He was going to take God to work with him, serve God in his workplace. And Daniel's diligence and faithfulness were rewarded by getting thrown into a den of ravenous lions. Okay, that's the kind of thing that can happen when we bring God to work. When we surrender to Jesus as Savior and King, he begins to rule over every area of our life. Okay, if Jesus is your savior and king, he rules over everything. How you spend your money, who you date, how you raise your kids, if you've got kids, what you watch on TV, you know, how you do your job, it's all under his rule. Your faith should influence every area of your life. Because, listen, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not your Lord at all. He calls you to live your, your faith out loud, even in the, in, the, in the marketplace, especially at work. So here are four ways that your faith will be evident on the job if you're bringing God to work with you. If you want to know, well, am I bringing God to work or not? Here's four ways you'll see it. Number one, let's talk about faith's conduct. Okay, faith's conduct. I'm going to read the opening verses of the story to you, Daniel chapter 6. Uh, the story revolves around a dude named Darius. And you're thinking, okay, there was a Nebuchadnezzar, but he's been replaced by Cyrus. But who, who's this Darius dude? And uh, some historians say that Darius was just another name for Cyrus. It was, the, it was the Persian version of the Babylonian name. And, and uh, did I say that right? It was the Babylonian version of the Persian name Cyrus. Other historians say, no, Darius was probably a first lieutenant to, uh, to King Cyrus. He appointed Darius to oversee this particular geographical area. In either case, Darius is the big cheese, and he's now Daniel's boss. So we pick it up, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. We'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me, let me summarize what I just read. A King Darius appoints 120 satraps. These, these would have been provincial governors over areas of his kingdom. Uh, in business terms, these were middle managers. These were uh, department heads, if, if you would. And then he appoints three administrators, three senior vice presidents to oversee the 120 satraps. Daniel is one of those administrators. But Daniel so distinguished himself by his conduct, okay, by his trustworthiness, by his integrity, by his work ethic, 
that King Darius was considering putting Daniel in charge of the administrators, the other two guys. He would be the first among equals because of his conduct. The promotion was because of his conduct. Now, if you were here last weekend before I preached, uh, I showed you a video, a seven-minute interview that I did with the CEO of Ace Hardware, a guy named John Van Huysen. John is a, is a friend of mine. He's a Christ follower. And in the course of that interview, he made the humorous remark. I don't know if you caught this, but he said the reason that some people don't become Christ followers is because they've met one. You remember hearing that? You know, what he's saying is that, you know, some Christians, they, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And so they don't leave a positive impression of their faith. That was not the case with Daniel. You know, his conduct was outstanding. It was commendable. It was an endorsement of his faith. Now, this didn't mean that Daniel was popular among his peers. You know, the other two administrators were honked off that Daniel was about to be promoted over them. So they began to look for a way to undermine Daniel. They figured that if, you know, if they could make Daniel look bad, they would make themselves look good by way of contrast. I'm sure this never happens in your workplace, right? You know, there are no fault finders who try to get ahead by putting others down, are there? And of course, we know that this is business in, as usual in many places. And if you're determined to follow Christ on the job, you know, you'll probably run into even more fault finders than other people will because your good conduct will get the attention of your boss and he may reward your good conduct with a pay raise or a promotion or greater responsibility or he may praise you in front of your peers and your peers may not like that. So don't be surprised if you become the target of their sniping. Don't be surprised if you become the, the, the target of their sniping. But the lesson to be learned from the life of Daniel is to keep the target really small. Don't give them anything to shoot at. Okay, that, that's what happened in Daniel's case. Go back to the text, verse 4. The administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Okay, let me ask you a question. Now, I'm gonna ask it in a couple of ways. First way, what could you be accused of on the job? Okay, if people were looking for something negative to say about you, I want you to think about this. What could you be accused of on the job? You know, would people say that you're a chronic complainer, a gossip, a bigot, a chauvinist? You know, are, are you known as the guy with the off-color sense of humor or maybe the woman with no sense of humor? Would people say, oh yeah, he's the one who's always late to meetings or she's the one who never meets a deadline? Are, are you a half-hearted worker whose time spent on your computer is actually spent online shopping or planning your next vacation trip? What could you be accused of negatively speaking on the job? If you're a Christ follower, it's time to eliminate those behaviors. It's time to eliminate those behaviors. And positively speaking, here's the second way to pose the question. What could you be commended for on the job? 
If people were to say something positive about you. First Peter chapter 3, verse 16, the apostle Peter says, keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So what, what good, what Christ-honoring behaviors are you demonstrating at work? What would your boss, what would your coworkers, your customers, clients, vendors, what would they commend you for? If you're a student, what good things would your teachers say about you? Okay, if you're a stay-at-home parent, a stay-at-home mom, what would your kids praise you for? If, if you're a retiree and you're serving in the church, in the community, what would your pastor commend you for? You know, I've really enjoyed over the past few weeks in this Job Well Done series, hearing from some of you via email and, and text about how you're applying what you're learning from the life of, of Daniel. For example, the first week of this series, uh, one of the things we learned about Daniel is he was a humble guy. Uh, he, he practiced humility in his workplace. When he came into a situation where his, his boss was demanding he do something he didn't want to do, he didn't dig in his heels. He didn't get stubborn or defensive. He worked out a win-win solution that the boss was happy with because he was a humble guy. Well, somebody wrote me shortly after that first sermon to say, you know, I've been trying to practice humility in my workplace. Learn that lesson from, from Daniel. And he said, for me, what it's been is acknowledging my mistakes and saying, I'm sorry. And then he writes in his email, the reactions have been quite interesting. In short, people don't know how to deal with it. You know, what do you deal with someone who actually says sorry? Uh, one person responded with a thumbs up emoji, but another person had a, uh, okay, uh, thanks reaction. I believe that this is because most people are used to fighting and battling in the workplace. And then this guy concluded his email with, hopefully people can see Christ in me at work. Yes. Okay, when we bring God to work with us, it should show up in our faith's conduct. You get it? Good. Number two, faith's declaration. Faith's declaration. Now, let me sum up the next part of the story for you. Daniel's, Daniel's jealous co-workers realize that they're never going to find dirt to dig up on this guy. Okay, his, his conduct on the job is stellar. But there may be an area in which Daniel is vulnerable. So they know that Daniel is a man of faith. I mean, everybody knows that Daniel is a man of faith. Everybody knows that he is uh, driven by his desire to worship and follow his God wholeheartedly. So Daniel's opponents come up with a scheme to bring him down. They go to King Darius and they say, King, we got a great, we got a great idea. Okay, we're all agreed on it. We think you should pass a decree, a, a law, it says for the next 30 days, people should only pray to you, to you, king. And if they pray to any human, any other human, or to their own uh, God, they should get thrown into a den of lions. Now, this was a very devious scheme, first of all, because it was just so dishonest. You know, they, they say, we've all agreed on this. Really, you've all agreed? Like, aren't you forgetting someone? Like Daniel, did you poll Daniel on this one? Of course they didn't. 
And then they use flattery. Okay, Darius was just a couple of years into the job, this new CEO thing, and they, they thought if they could flatter him, make him feel like a big deal. You know, you to man, King Darius, you to man. You know, let everybody be God for a month. That's what we feel you ought to be. You know, watch out for flattery in the workplace. Watch out for kissing up. You know, it goes on, but you know, the writer of Proverbs in the Old Testament says that flattery is a manipulation technique. It's something people, it's not sincere praise. It's something people use to get their way. Daniel's opponents flattered Darius to get him to pass a law that would put Daniel in a very difficult situation and, and hopefully bring him down. So if you had been in Daniel's sandals, how would you have responded to this new decree? Think of all the ways that Daniel could have rationalized going along with the law. Okay, Daniel could have said, well, you know, it's only 30 days. So if I just curtail my prayer life for 30 days, I could kick it back in in a, in a month. This is no big deal. Or Daniel might have said, he, he might have said, well, you know, here's what I'm going to do in public. I'm going to uh, pray a couple of prayers to Darius for everybody to hear, but I'm going to cross my fingers behind my back so I don't really mean it. Okay, and he'll never know that it's not a real prayer. You see, if Daniel could just mute his faith for a uh, short period of time. He, he's, he's looking at this decision and he's saying, okay, now if I insist on praying to my God for the next 30 days, I'm gonna die. But if I just tone it down, if I just put a lid on my prayer life for a month, a stinking month, I live. So what should Daniel decide to do? Drop down to verse 10. This is what Daniel does. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Now, several things I want you to see in this verse. The first has to do with what's the deal praying by an open window? Is he showboating? Is he baiting his opponents? Is he trying to get caught? It's important you understand in that part of the world, it gets extremely hot. And in ancient times, there's no air conditioning. The only, only ventilation is the window. And so Daniel's not trying to catch attention of opponents. He's trying to catch a breeze. And, and, and why does he face toward Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem is where the temple was, at least where the temple had been. Okay, it's in ruins by this time. But this is where God was worshipped. And Dan Daniel is signaling that he's God's man. That he's, commit he's a worshiper of the one true living God. He belongs to God. Wants everybody to know it. You know, and one last thing I, I want you to see here. Okay, Daniel doesn't start doing something as a reaction to King Darius's decree. It's not like Darius passes a decree and Daniel picks up a stick to poke him in the eye. No, he prays three times a day as he had done before. See, this was Daniel's regular routine. He's not doing anything new. If you're a Christ follower... It'd be like, you know, you bring your Bible to work or, or to school. Why? 
Well, because you plan to read it at some point during the day when you're, you got a break. You, know, you bow your head before lunch, whether it's in the school cafeteria or you're eating out at a restaurant with coworkers. You say, hey, would you mind if I pray? Why? Because you always do that. You always give thanks to God for your meal before you eat it. Your, your, your friends at work ask you, well, you got a big weekend plan? What are you doing this weekend? And you respond, oh, I'm really looking forward to going to church. Why? Well, because you're really looking forward to going to church. You see how this works? You know, you, you talk freely at work about the way in which God is working in your life and the way he's answering prayers and so on, because that's the kind of thing Christ followers talk about. You, you invite people to go online and check something out at our website, like maybe that seven-minute interview with the CEO of Ace Hardware, or, or to check out a service when there's a sermon that you think might connect with them. You do that because that's what Christ followers do. They're constantly inviting people to consider Jesus. Faith's declaration. Faith's declaration. Now, maybe you're thinking, well... I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. I think I'll just, I'll just be a good person on the job and that'll be enough. I mean, faith's conduct, that was your first point. Yeah, but Daniel didn't stop with faith's conduct. He went on to a fearless declaration of his faith. Everybody knew about Daniel's relationship with God. Listen, friends, our, our conduct tells others who we are but it takes words to tell them whose we are. Daniel used words to tell people whose he was. Everybody knew who Daniel belonged to. Okay, if you're a Christ follower, you belong to Jesus. And if you're not willing to say that out loud and you live a life of good conduct, you know who will get the credit for your good conduct? You will. People will think you're a wonderful person and you'll steal the credit from Jesus. People need to know the reason I'm a wonderful person is because Christ has made a difference in my life. So if, if you haven't been in the habit of bringing God to work by being open about your faith, let me suggest a really simple way to get started. I mentioned this last week. Uh, last week I, I was talking about you know, how to serve your boss at work and uh, one of the ways I suggested was you know, just pray for your boss. In fact, I let you know that we've got a ministry here at church. We go to businesses and we pray over them. Now, you know, most often it's businesses owned by people in our church. But anytime you want, if you think this would fly with your boss, you could suggest, hey, we got a ministry at our church that prays over businesses and they're willing to come if you'd like them to come. So we, 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 we pray, we volunteer to pray, we figure out what's going on in our boss's life, what stressors they're facing, and we say, hey, can I pray about that? Or even if we don't say, can I pray about that, we pray for them. Well, 20 minutes after my sermon was concluded last week, I got a text from a Christ community attender who had been there, and I want you to listen to what she wrote me. She said that this study of Daniel has really hit me. I texted my boss this morning, so she walked out of the service and texted her boss. I told her, I know she's overloaded and stressed, and I've noticed she's tired a lot. I told her, she's in my prayers. 
I told her she's in my prayers for some much needed rest. I told her I knew she has my back and that I have hers. I told her how blessed I am that she's my boss. Well, my boss wrote back, this is happening in real time, real quickly here. My boss wrote back that I made her day, made her cry, and she thanked me. This is such a huge step for me. God was working his magic. Now that, that's what faith's declaration looks like it can start as simple as an offer how can i pray for you how can i pray for you number three faith's test okay this is the most familiar part of the story this is the lion's part so i'll just sum it up briefly for you daniel's antagonists catch him praying to the one true god and not to darius and so they run to tell the king they're like tattletales on the playground all right, they, they run to tell the king, and Darius has no choice but to throw Daniel in the lion's den, even though he likes Daniel, because a law is a law is a law, and he's passed a law. Got to follow through on it. So, some of you may be thinking, well, what's the deal with the lion's den to begin with? Like, what king has a lion's den in his backyard? Well, it, it just so happens historians tell us that lion hunting was a favorite sport of kings in ancient times. And you would either kill the lions or in some instances you would capture them and you would bring them home and kings kept lion's dens and it was a way to dispose of your opponents on occasion. All right, so Daniel was thrown into King Darius's lion pit and a large stone was rolled over the top of it and the king sealed the stone with his signet ring and all of, all of these details point to the fact that there's no getting out of this situation. Daniel is in deep trouble and he's got no one to help. He's got no one to help. Well, actually, there was one person who could help. God. And God closed the mouths of the lions. And so Daniel got a good night's sleep, which was ironic because Darius didn't. Darius didn't sleep a wink. He was so worried about Daniel. And so first thing in the morning, Darius runs to the lion pit to find out how Daniel has fared. Pick it up at verse 20. Uh, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. I got to confess, if I'd been Daniel, I'd say, you want to know how I've done? Come on down, find out. All right. My God has sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, some of you may be wondering, you read this part of the story and you say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. If, if Darius could overrule the law at this point of the story and get Daniel out of the lion's den, why didn't he overrule the law the day before and keep Daniel from getting thrown into the lion's den to begin with? So it's important that we understand something here. Okay? When a person broke the law, this law, the penalty was not death per se. The penalty was spending a, a night with the lions. Now, it would eventuate in death. That was the expected outcome. 
But it wasn't, death was not required. In fact, there was a common practice in the ancient world. It was called trial by ordeal. Okay, so if you were accused of something and your guilt, they thought you were guilty, but there was a little bit of uncertainty, they would put you through a horrible ordeal. Something like getting thrown into a den of lions. And if you came out of it unscathed, if your life, you know, you still had your life, you were deemed to be innocent. So Daniel was subjected to trial by ordeal. And he was not only protected by God through this time of testing, his faith was shown to be genuine. It was enduring. It was victorious. It was God-exalting. Now listen to me, friends. If you bring God to work with you, there may be times when your faith is put to the test. There, there may be situations when following Christ is going to get you into trouble. And please, when I talk about getting into trouble, I'm not talking about you get into trouble because you've been obnoxious or uncooperative or defiant or you, know, you deserve trouble on those occasions. I'm talking about getting into trouble because your, your biblical convictions or priorities or, 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 or values have run afoul of others. You know, maybe you lose a sale because you were honest with a customer. Or maybe you're accused of proselytizing because you do volunteer to, to pray for a coworker and that co coworker rats you out to the boss. Or maybe your boss makes your life miserable because your boss just doesn't like Christians. Or maybe you're left out of the inner circle because the inner circle gossips and they know you don't. Or they go out drinking after work and they know you don't. Let, let me tell you about what happened to David and Jason. Okay, David and Jason are twin brothers, the Benham brothers. They both started out their careers as baseball players. They were in the minor leagues and both flamed out, decided to go into business together. So they picked up a house that the bank had foreclosed on and they fixed it up and they sold it and made a profit and the bank was impressed with their good work. So the bank started sending foreclosed homes their way and they started fixing up homes and selling them and hugely successful. Wall Street Journal one year uh, named them the number three realtor in the country in terms of their productivity. 970 transactions that year. Wow. Well, HGTV got a hold of their story and said, we'd like to do a reality uh, a TV show about your business. And so they filmed a bunch of episodes and they were, they were days away from showing the first one when a protest was raised against them. The protest was that they had made public statements that were pro-life and pro-biblical marriage. Pro-biblical marriage meanings, meaning you know, God's word says that a marriage is to be between a husband and a wife. Now, now just so you know, I went online because I wanted to see how these guys had handled themselves and I watched several YouTube clips. They are not ranters. They are soft-spoken, articulate, gracious guys. In fact, they, they fund a pro-life ministry so that, that, that women are cared for. They're, they're given baby showers and mentors and uh, connected with adoption agencies and medical care is covered and housing allowance is given. And so these guys are the real deal. But HGTV canceled their contract. 
Faith's test. Bringing God to work with you may get you into trouble. But God will be with you. God will be with you as he was with Daniel. And what's more, your perseverance in a time of testing will lead, number four, to faith's results. Our last point today. Look at the closing verses of the story. Pick it up at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. This is King Darius, the pagan king, talking. God's kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel's boldness in bringing God to work results in his boss, King Darius, promoting Daniel's God. That is pretty amazing. Let me say that if you as a Christ follower, if you would start bringing Jesus to work with you, just think about whose life might be impacted. A boss, a coworker, a customer, a client, a receptionist might even come to know Christ as Savior and King. So dare to be a Daniel. Dare to bring Jesus to work. Dare to see what God will do. Faith's results. Faith's results. Let's pray. And, uh, you know, as we get ready to pray and transition into a time of communion. I want to put a plug in for what you heard promoted about that new workshop uh, we got going. It starts tomorrow, Monday. It's four weeks long, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Monday evenings, Faith at Work. This has been in the planning for a couple of years now. You, you know, we realized one day, where do people spend the majority of their week? It's, it's not in bed or eating meals. It's not even with their family. The majority of our time is spent at work. And so how are we doing at work, living out our faith at work? And so we, we started studying this whole issue and put together a seminar. We knew that occasionally we'll do weekend series like the one we're completing today. But we need a regular seminar that will train people how to be a Christ follower in their workplace. And Steve Boyd, who, who's put together this seminar, uh, Steve, before he came on our staff as a pastor, was in the, in the secular marketplace. So he knows his stuff. If you're interested in this, I think this could be a life changer. You know, check it out tomorrow night, six o'clock. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we get ready to celebrate communion, I'm struck by the fact that Daniel's life pointed to you. There's so many similarities. I mean, just as Daniel uh, was thrown into an alien environment, a hostile environment, so Jesus, you left the comfort of heaven to become one of us. J just as Daniel was arrested while at prayer, so you were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, Father, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And they came and they took you away. Just as there was someone in Daniel's life, King Darius, who, who didn't want to throw him into the lion's den. There was a pilot, Jesus, in your life who wanted to get you off, but in the end ended up appeasing the crowd. 
But the big difference, Lord Jesus, is that Daniel was saved from the mouth of the lions, but in your case, you were subjected to the wrath of God on our behalf. You took the full brunt of the punishment our sin deserved. You were nailed to a cross, and you hung there till you died. And as we hold the bread and the cup in our hands today, God, let us be, let our pride be shattered. Let us be refreshed in our faith, our commitment to you when we see what great love, what great love was poured out on us by your willingness to take the death that we deserve to die so that you could give us life if we would but surrender to you. We just want to surrender afresh completely to you, say, saying we want to be your men, your women in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. So may this time celebrating your death and resurrection. May it renew us in our faith. May it express our full gratitude for what you've done for us. May it recalibrate us so that if we've strayed from the path of righteousness, we step back onto that path right now as we celebrate communion. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.